Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and uh, joining me is a, is a familiar face, I guess a familiar voice for uh, for the podcast listeners. It's, uh, it's Jonathan Willis. Jonathan, what's going on, man? Hey, Dimitri. Always good to be here. Um, so we're doing uh, today. I, I enlisted your help in uh, in recording a free agency preview. We thought we'd uh, bounce around to different positions and kind of toss some names out there that are interesting for our purposes. Whether it's guys we kind of like or, or guys that we'd caution teams to stay away from. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Uh, let's let's start with the forwards because uh, and, and okay, let's let's do let's have the Steven Stamkos discussion because he's obviously sort of the the big fish in the in the pool this year. And I don't know, it, it seems like a, a no brainer where you say obviously, you know, if you're a fan of a team or you're running a team, just adding Steven Stamkos to the mix will will certainly make your team better because he's going to score a lot of goals. And there's not that many guys these days it seems that can score uh, whatever forty something goals that he's capable of when he's healthy. So I'm just kind of curious with the risk reward with him, though, where it sounds like he's, of course, reasonably going to want a lot of money over a lot of years. And we know how goal scorers tend to age and and what their uh, relative peaks are, which is younger than we thought in the past. So I'm kind of curious if you were running a team, would you commit the, the max to Steven Stamkos or do you think there's better ways to spend your money? Well, the problem is, uh, that if you, if you imagine the NHL talent pool as like this line chart, it's uh, it's got a pretty steep descent. Like there is a very small number of players who are in that that upper tier. Uh, I actually um, compiled a list of sort of top free agents, and and when I was looking at it, the guys who have averaged more than twenty five goals per eighty two games over the last three years, mm-hmm. there are there are four guys. So there's there's Andrew Ladd who's averaged 25, Kyle Ocposo who's averaged 26, David Backus who's averaged 26, and Steven Stamkos who's averaged 44. Mm-hmm. So it's like a kind of a quantum leap between him and the rest of the draft class right. in that category. So so the problem is if if you need goal scoring, realistically this guy is going to massively impact your lineup. And he is 26. 
um, which is young for a free agent. I, I know that's kind of past what we think of as the peak of goal scoring ability. And we've maybe even seen a little bit of a drop off with Stamkos already, mm-hmm. but he's just, he's so good. And I'm kind of a subscriber to this belief that in a salary cap world, you can afford to pay your stars and then, you know, uh, slash your budget a little bit on those sort of mid tier players, the kind of four or $5 million guys. So if you can get Steven Stamkos, if he's interested in signing with you, you know, unless you're a team that's so good already that you're you're uh, you're looking at a Stanley Cup next year and you can't make it work cap wise, I, I would have real trouble passing on him. Yeah, when you, when you bring up the question of well, it depends if you're looking for goaltending. I think uh, for goal scoring, sorry, I think every team other than maybe the Dallas Stars is, is looking for an influx in goal scoring. So uh, <laughs> he's definitely got a market there. <laughs> Yeah, like I mean, if you if you're Chicago, maybe you can make a case to pass on him, yes. but very few teams are in that category. Yeah, and and like that, that's a really good point you make about um, just how young he is for a guy to be hitting the open market like this, and and the market he's going to have. And I don't know, I think we did see a little bit of a drop off last year. The, the more worrisome thing to me is sort of how his uh, his shot generation dropped a little bit. But I mean. You look at when we discuss uh, aging curves for goal scorers and things like that. I think that uh, a guy with Stamkos' skill set will be able to age relatively gracefully, just in the sense that he does have that that wicked shot. And it feels like, I mean, you watch a guy like Jerome McGinley who can barely move around the ice, and he still, you know, finds a way to score seemingly thirty goals pretty much every year, just because he has that that shot. And and whenever you have these flashes where he's, you know, standing around the circle there, and he gets he gets an open open look and he buries a top corner and you're like oh that looks like the Jerome McGinley of old and then you watch pretty much every other facet of his game and you're like oh yeah he's he's uh, approaching 40 years old but I think like Stamkos there's no reason to believe that he won't be able to score a, a ton of goals pretty much every year for the entirety of that contract I just wonder that say you're a team like the Leafs who uh, pretty clearly has a lot of holes they need to fill and a lot of those will be filled with uh, prospects they've already drafted or, or accumulated in different ways that'll be coming in the pipeline the next few years i'm wondering whether that seems like the right fit though just based on the trajectory of where the rest of their players are compared to where he is in his in his respective career yeah that's a great question and um i I share some of your concerns about shot generation like he he fell to his his lowest rate of uh shots per hour and shot attempts per hour at five on five the lowest rate of his career actually last year Mm -hmm. so that is a bit of a concern and particularly if you're a team like the Leafs with, with your window sort of in the future. Uh, the problem I have there is, you know, as you know, I, I work for the, the Edmonton Journal and uh, Oilers Nation. So I've, I've seen sort of a rebuild up close before. Right. And, and to me, Stamkos is such a good player that if you can kind of take that quantum leap forward right now, um, I, you're almost obligated to do it. He, he's going to give you so much immediately and he's going to provide... Um, coverage for people coming in. He's going to provide somebody else for opposition scorers to focus on. He's going to, especially for these sort of young, highly touted players that have all this pressure on them. Stamkos is the kind of guy that is going to allow them to mature at maybe a more um, reasoned, balanced pace, just because he will carry a lot of the load for the next probably five years if he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think I'd probably still take the chance on him if I was Toronto. Yeah. No, I mean, guys like this, as we said, come come around very infrequently. And if you have, if he legitimately wants to come play for your team, you probably uh, you're you have a, a certain obligation to be like, yes, we will we will let you play for our team, Stephen Stamkos. Yeah, he can. He's maybe the one guy 
I, I think he's probably the only guy in free agency you can basically say, okay, he's going to be able to pick where he goes and plays. Mm. So, okay, so the rest of this forward group that's available beyond Stamkos is interesting. I sort of listed them into two tiers. One of them is, uh, I was going to save it to later, but we can just do it right now. It, it's sort of the, the stay away class in the sense that whether it's guys like Eric Stahl or, or David Backus or Andrew Ladd, where I think they're still good players that have a lot to contribute to their, to whatever team they're going to sign with in the immediate, in the immediate pre- kind of present here, moving into next year and maybe even the year after that and maybe even a third year. But I'm kind of worried about the actual contracts they're going to receive because it seems like, you know, they should be trying to get that one last big payday because it seems like guys like that who are already in their early 30s probably won't have more than this one big contract left to sign. And and I, I look at, you know, especially for a guy like Bacchus, the, the comparable for me is what Kessler got from Anaheim recently, that extension where it's six years, 6.675 per. And, and we're already talking about that as one of the worst contracts in the league. And I think the extension hasn't even really kicked in yet. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, I think there's going to be a lot of buyers or more for whichever team signs up for these guys long term. Yeah, the I, to me, it's very interesting that we're in sort of a, a flat cap world. And with all those guys, to me, the real question is term, because I think you can afford to pay David Backus a fair bit of money next year mm-hmm. and probably even the year after that. But you start getting into a five, six, seven year deal. And I mean, he's a six foot three, 220 pound right shot center who can contribute in all three disciplines. So, you know, somebody's going to pay the man. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of these guys, you start getting into that crazy money. It's it's going to be deeply concerning. Like, I mean, if you're looking at Andrew Ladd as an example and you give him a six-year deal, well, you're paying him from, you know, age 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, yep. 35, and 36. Like, these are not the prime years of, of the man's career. Yep. Uh, so all, all of those older guys are kind of red flag to me. And and then the, the one guy I would add to those names is uh, Mikkel Bodker because mm. he's actually relatively young for a free agent and yep. he's... You know, one of the better point producers in this draft class, but he's a guy who is, uh, to me, a, a pretty one-dimensional player, a guy who mostly gets the, the job done on the power play. And if you look at his five-on-five scoring, it's not very good compared to even some of the bargain bin guys in this draft class. And you look at his shot metrics, they're abysmal compared to pretty much everybody in this draft class. So he's maybe the one younger guy that I'd put a star next to his name and go, uh, you got to be careful here. Yeah, no, with Bodkar, I remember at the trade deadline, he was generating a lot of buzz as a guy that contenders would be interested in because he did have some good counting stats. And then I, I remember like while I was doing a little bit of research, I found this amazing, it, was, it, was, it just blew my mind that I think he led the league uh, in power play time and, and in total power play time for forwards, like even beyond guys like Ovechkin, which was crazy to me. And then you look at all the all the rate stats and, and he was like a middling guy that wasn't really moving the needle at all. So he, he's definitely you know he's going to warrant a lot of buzz because he's what 26 years old and and he's he had a really nice year from sort sort of superficially looking last year but i'd be pretty worried about lock, locking him up long term and thinking he's going to all of a sudden you know be anything that's going to actually be, be be moving the needle for my team as a, as a winger well the other thing with bodker is he's got kind of what i like to think of as uh, jack johnson disease hmm. you know like he's he's six foot two eleven so he's He's got good NHL size, and he's a really good skater. So you combine those two things, and you combine you know these these strong counting stats, and it's very easy to fall in love with a player like that. But he is, I mean, at even strength for me, he is maybe a third line forward, 
and he's a guy who can really kill on the power play, but you know, like you pointed out, he's played an incredible amount of minutes in Arizona where they don't really have a lot of other options. So if you're not going to pay him, or sorry, play him uh, three and a half minutes a game on the power play, he's not going to put up those numbers for you in all likelihood. Yeah, and then you're going to be wondering what, what what gives, and it's, well, you should have seen this coming. I think, uh, yeah, and back to the back to the group of, of guys like Stahl, Backus, and Ladd, we mentioned that they're 31 years old or so, and, and these are already past their prime years, but I feel like with guys like that, especially Backus and Ladd, like, it's not even just that the actual age, it's sort of the way they play and i feel like it's a pretty laborious manner right like i i, I don't see it being a very age uh graceful aging process yeah it's not just the age you're worried about it's the miles yeah. um and I, and that's sort of something i always flag with uh, these kind of physical players um i'm a little bit worried less worried about them than i would be uh, just thinking a few years back to somebody like Ryan Callahan who mm. you know is already sort of breaking down when he signs his deal and you look at like he's a five foot eleven, hundred ninety five player pound player who plays that six foot three, two hundred twenty pound game. Yeah. I, I don't have any any numbers in front of me, but my um, intuition and and basically just what sort of the trend that I've seen without uh, digging into it and doing it really methodically is that those smaller players who play that game tend to break down earlier, and you can maybe get away with it a little bit longer if you're a you're a bigger player. Uh, having said that, you know anybody who's thirty two years old. If you're signing him to a five, six year deal, you should really um, be careful. There's very few instances <laughs> where it's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just it. You know, like he's 32. You know, we have, we've all seen these NHL aging curves where the guys peak as scorers at 20, 24, 25, 26. You're going to get into very few players are able to maintain that production into their mid 30s. Well, I mean, we're seeing a, a prime example of that. The, like right now with Dustin Brown, right? It's I, I yeah. think his extension kicked in when he was like 29 years old or so, and now he's 31, and he's still got six years left on this deal, which is paying him nearly six million per. And and the Kings just stripped him of his captaincy, and he and he's a you know a hot candidate for them to either buy him out or or hope that an, a potential expansion team takes him in the draft. It's it's like one of these things where like we're seeing this play out before our very eyes, and if you're ignoring what past history has taught us, then you're 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 doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, history is littered with these guys. You've got somebody, I'm thinking of uh, David Clarkson right now. You know, he had a 30-goal year at 28. Yep. He was pretty good in uh, at 29, and he was done at 30. Yep. And, and, and that realistically is the kind of curve you have where guys, even guys who are productive in their late 20s, can just hit a wall and disappear one summer. And yep. you'll never get them back, and you're committed to them forever. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely, that, that's... That's what the track record tells us. That's generally how it goes. Uh, and then I think the other group that we're going to bunch them together uh, in terms of UFA forwards is this sort of mix of guys that are very intriguing top six wingers where they're going to be really good second line guys. And potentially, if you have the right center, they can you can even conceivably play them on that top line wing spot and they'll help boost your team's offense. And I'm looking at guys like, OK, I have a question for you. So a guy like Yuri Hoodler, what do you make of the year he had this past season where um, like if we were talking about him last summer, he would have been uh, making quite a bit more money i feel like based on the, on the on the disparity in production that he had yeah yuri hoodler is one of those players that um i'm always a little leery to apply kind of your traditional analytic filter to mm -hmm. because he's so 
dependent on shooting percentage. Yeah. He's not a guy, like if you're looking at him and you're going, okay, well, I'm looking at his possession numbers and I'm calibrating my approach to him that way, you're going to underrate him because he is an elite finisher at the NHL level. Uh, he's, and, and the same thing with pretty much any part of his game that you look at. But the thing with Hoodler is he falls into kind of the same category as a, a Bacchus or a lad age-wise. Um, he's, I, I believe he's 32 now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's he's a guy who this summer, you know, he can produce for you, but he's he's not a, a legitimate two-way guy. He's sort of a one-dimensional player, a very, very good one-dimensional player. Yep. But but he's only really got that one one gear, and he is older. And and with all these players, there's probably a dozen of them in this this draft class that are sort of higher profile guys in their early to mid thirties. To me, with all of them, and, and I'd throw Franz Nielsen in there too, who I just love as a player and have deep respect for. Um, with all of them, to me, it's going to be about term and dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there are contracts out there that make sense for for Hoodler, for Bacchus, for for Nielsen, for all of these guys, and you just want to be the team that gets them on a three or four year deal even if you have to pay a little bit more yeah i wonder i'm looking at hoodler's numbers right now and i wonder how many articles have been written over the years being like this guy is a regression candidate and then every year he was just like <laughs> like from 2011 to 2015 he basically shot between 16 and 20 percent every year right and it's like one of those things where eventually you gotta be like hmm i wonder you know the alex tangay syndrome where this guy just for whatever reason is is uh, a higher caliber finisher than most guys but then of course i mean even last year he he, he shot like what 13 or 14 percent and we're talking about it as a as a, as a down year for him which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's a he's he's an elite finisher at thirteen or fourteen percent at even strength, and, or sorry, just overall. Yeah, and overall. and I'm, I'm just looking at his even strength numbers, and he shot sixteen percent at even strength. Like yeah. he, this guy is a, a one shot scorer, and some of that is, of course, because unlike Stamkos, he's he's quite a bit more picky with his shots. But mm-hmm. but even so, he's a guy who can uh, deliver there. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I don't know. I mean, a guy I, I really like that fits into this camp, and maybe he's even—he's definitely a higher echelon player than a guy like Yuri Hoodler is, is Kyle Pozo, who uh, looks like he's going to be on his way out. And I think that the writing is in the wall after the money uh, the Islanders devoted to a guy like Casey Sezikis, which I—I I, I don't know. <laughs> have we have we have we have we, un- have we understood? Have we like gotten reasoning for what happened there beyond uh, Garth Snow thinking, well, someone else would have paid him if we didn't, so we had to do it, which seems like the most flawed line of thinking you can possibly have in this sort of thing. Well, I, yeah, I, I kind of broke out laughing there because you think about the idea of losing Kyle Ocaposo because you had to pay Casey Sezikis, <laughs> and it's uh, there aren't words for that kind of thought yeah. process. Yeah. Like this is a guy who's a you know fifteen to twenty point scorer most years. I know he had a had a good season this year, but uh, whew, if you're losing Ocaposo for that for for that contract. That's that's brutal. Ocaposo um, might actually be the best free agent forward on the market after Stamkos. He's he's younger. He is big. He's going to get paid. And I do worry a little bit about the effect that um, you know playing with John Tavares has had on his numbers because yeah. the last two years he has not been that great away from Tavares in terms of scoring. But um, yeah, I, I love the player. I think he's fantastic. And the other thing about him too is he's a right shot, which is something that a lot of teams are are going to be looking for this summer. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's 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 a heck of a player, man. It's it's he's a good kind of case study in in being patient with prospects because I remember he was a very high pick and he started off well, but then he had injuries and he was disappointing and people were writing him off. And then the past few years, I think it started with that. I remember he had that uh, awesome playoff series against Pittsburgh where they lost in six games or so, and and he sort of uh, burst onto the scene and and he's been really good since. So I really like him as a player. I think. What do you think about these other guys? Whether it's guys like David Perron, who you saw pretty up close, or even a Teddy Purcell, who you also saw in Edmonton quite a bit, like uh, or P.A. Parento or Jamie McGinn. It seems like there's a lot of these uh, tweener guys that could conceivably play on your second line wing or third line wing and have differing skills, but are sort of similar producers. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of players in that category. Um, David Perron is maybe the highest end example, but um, there are, I'm just trying to count here, maybe 15 guys maybe topping out at um, at David Perron and, and bottoming out at Chris Stewart, who are decent second, third line bets who can play a complementary role. And, and history to me is kind of shown with those guys. The trick is get them on a short-term deal, get them at low dollars, and don't be too picky about who you get. I mean, realistically, the difference between signing um, Teddy Purcell and Lee Stempniak and Chris Versteeg, there's very little gap there. They're all basically the same age, basically the same production, basically the same role on your team, and just pick the one who is most willing to sign a reasonable contract. Because in free agency, there are bargains to be found if you're willing to... uh, be you know if you're if you're willing to pick whichever guy fits your slot that that makes it to uh july 20th who and is still on the market but 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 before we get to those guys i there's there's a pretty big name we haven't touched on who's who's milan lucic Mm. who i i've been pretty critical of uh (laughs) from edmonton's just from edmonton's perspective because edmonton is so loaded at left wing but if i'm a team other than edmonton that's a pretty interesting player to me. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the year he just had in L.A., but he's only 28, and he is a pretty elite, even-strength scorer. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if 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 you're Milan Lucic and his agent, you're probably like, you have to be realistic in, in thinking that this is going to be your one massive payday, and, and I'm wondering yep. how many years, like, we, we come back to that term concept, but, like, he should be asking for five or six years because I want, like, I don't think he's going to be worth nearly as much by the time he's 32 or 33 years old if he's back on the market, right? So it's, like, one of those things where I'm, I'm very worried about a, a player like him who already struggles moving around on the ice, who carries around a lot of that weight, just how he's going to age into his early 30s. Yeah, and you you put your you put you hit the nail on the head there. Um, all of these guys who were in sort of their mid to late twenties, uh, Stamkos, Okposo, Lucic, Bodker too, which is one of the reasons I flagged Bodker. These are guys who you can kind of convince yourself to give term to, and, and particularly Lucic, I think. If he makes it to free agency, are there not general managers out there who will do seven years and forty two million dollars? Oh, absolutely, we like, see it every year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you want to pay him till he's 35? I'd rather not. <laughs> um, well, and and uh I, I don't has there has anybody done a real study on how um sort of slower players have aged compared to uh 
fleeter foot players because on the one hand you go well they're already not that fast i don't want to see them when they lose a step but on the other hand you go well their game's not really tooled around speed so if they lose a step maybe it's not such a big deal right yeah and and, and i mean you could make the argument if you're if you're pro luchage that you know he'll still be able to be that sort of guy around the net that uses his frame and and you know be the be the kind of net front presence on the power play and stuff like that and and all these things that should conceivably be skills that he'll maintain for a few years but I don't know. I, I I'd be wary of of kind of committing to a guy like him long term, just because I'm not sure how much he he really moves the needle for you, right? Yeah, it's, that's a legitimate concern. But to me, at least with Lucic, it's it's a different situation where than than it is with Bodker, where with Bodker you're concerned that he's really not a good player. Yeah. With Lucic, it's just just the aging curve in the term. Yep. No, for sure. I agree with that. Um, all right, let's move over to this, to the, to the class of defensemen. And I honestly don't know how much time we're going to spend on this because I was looking at the list and it's, it's not a, it's not a great class. I mean, you have a guy like <laughs> Brian Campbell, who is an exceptional player, but, uh, the problem is he's 36 or 37 years old. And I'm kind of curious, like, are you really going to be paying him into his forties? I don't know. Like it's weird because he plays such a like masterful game that he doesn't really take a lot of punishment and he moves around so smoothly on the ice that I don't know. It's quite possible that he will be able to play for pretty much as long as, as he, he wants to mentally. But I'm just like, I'm, I'm I'm curious what that contract for him is going to wind up looking like. Yeah, Brian Campbell's an interesting guy, and and again, I'm going to be very unscientific here and, and go away from sort of proven fact and veer into speculation, but there is kind of the history of this uh, sort of finesse two-way defenseman who can handle the puck aging pretty gracefully. Um, Nicholas Lidstrom is obviously the, the, the prime example, and, and Campbell is not in that class, but um, there are a lot of these guys who are able to contribute maybe in a reduced role even up to 38, 39, 40. Mm-hmm. Um, Marek Zidlicki is still in the league. <laughs> yeah, <there we> go. <laughs> and and he, he's not Brian Campbell by any stretch, I but he's, I think he's two years older. Nicholas Lidstrom than Marek Zidlicki. I think that's what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's legitimate. Um, yeah, Campbell's a very, very interesting player to me. And, you know, that's the kind of guy that, even on a two-year deal, I could see, see going... Mm, Maybe four million dollars, maybe even a little oh, bit he's higher. Gonna, he's going to go more than four million. If you, I mean, if he's willing to play, if he's willing to sign a contract for just two years, like I'd be willing to go up into the sixes, honestly, just based on how how impactful he's. He, like, look at his numbers. He, pretty much everyone that plays with him is significantly better than when they're playing with anyone other than Brian Campbell. Yeah, no, I, I can't argue with that. It's. Uh... Well, he was. I'm. I'm just pulled up his his counting numbers. He was plus thirty one this year, which I, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're we're gonna frown on plus minus and do do that thing, but but it, that's sort of supported by his shot metrics. Like his shot metrics every year are through the roof. And to me, you can make a really compelling argument that Aaron Eckblad is not um, Aaron Eckblad as we know him if he isn't playing with Brian Campbell. Yep. And and I mean, same. You, you can make the same argument for. I mean, look at a guy like Eric Goodbranson, where I think at the start of the year he was playing with Willie Mitchell and that was arguably the worst defensive pairing in the league and then they put Good Branson with Campbell and he looked serviceable enough that they were able to get a pretty nice little package from the Canucks there this summer so I think uh guys like Campbell are just so so valuable because he can eat a lot of minutes and he's very efficient with them and he there's very few players in this league that you we always talk about the bus drivers and the passengers right and a lot of these guys we talked about in terms of the wingers or passengers where if 
you put them with a good center, they're going to produce, but you don't really want to pay a premium for them because you don't know how much they're going to make other guys better. Whereas Campbell is in that truly elite tier where I feel like he's going to just make everyone look like in such a more positive light than, than pretty much all the other minutes they spend without him. Yeah, it's, you're, you're right. Um, I, I think with a two-year deal, I'd be nervous, but on a one-year deal, six million is totally just, reasonable. Just give him a blank check. Even a little bit what, what, whatever you want, Brian. Yeah, because if you if you need somebody of that position, you know if you're if you're a team that can win the cup next year and you have the money and you have a hole mm-hmm. on the left side of your defensive depth chart, I, I, it's hard to find a, a much better short term fit in free agency than Campbell. Well, I mean, so you look at the rest of this class, and I, I don't know, it's uh, it's it's pretty rough, right? Like, I I love Keith Yandel. I might be one of his biggest fans, and he's definitely someone mm-hmm. that also feels fits into that camp of of moving the needle and it's it's amazing seeing uh the discourse about him as a player during his time in new york where people were so eager with trying to find warts in his game and and latching onto things and players that play the style of game that he does generally get a lot of criticism because they make these glaring mistakes every once in a while that people can latch onto and point to as as a reason for why this guy's a liability defensively while overlooking the 15 other things he's done in the meantime that made everyone look awesome and and contributed to scoring goals for his team. So I I would I would love Keith Yandel on my team. I'm I'm just kind of curious. He's he's seems like he's going to get a lot of money because he's in that perfect uh, combination of skill set like a guy like Campbell, but also age where you're not necessarily that worried about paying him for, for many years. Yeah, and, and the one thing that Yandel can do, which nobody else, yeah, I'm just looking at the list here, nobody else in free agency this year can do is run your power play and, and uh, be a bona fide difference maker. Mm-hmm. Like There is nobody else out there on the market who is going to bring that skill set to your team. And and the other thing with him, which you sort of touched on already, is there's there's a massive drop off. Like after Yandel, who who are your next best defensemen? Maybe uh, Goligoski and Demers. Like yeah. this is a very shallow free agent class, and Yandel's one of the few guys worth paying. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Goligoski and, and Demers, and uh, because Dallas is in a very interesting spot here, where there's those two guys, mm-hmm. but there's also Chris Russell, who I imagine they won't be bringing back, and then there's Jordy Ben as well. So they have pretty much four guys that were in their what top seven defensemen towards the end of the year that uh, are going to be hitting the open market, and it'll be fascinating to see how they act in terms of which guys they prioritize bringing back and how much they pay them. And I know they have a couple of really uh, intriguing defensive prospects that they can probably. Call call up from Texas that can instantly slot into our lineup kind of like Steven Johns did this year. But I'm just, I'm very curious to see what that blue line winds up looking like heading into next year. Yeah. Uh, Goligoski is a, is an excellent player and one they're going to struggle if they lose. Uh, Jason Damaris is probably the best right shot defenseman on the market. I mean, the right, the right side, if you're looking for a right shot defenseman this year, it's a, it's a total disaster. And that's the one thing that I wonder if maybe keeps him alive in Dallas is he's going to be very, you know, you might be better off trying to replace Goligoski than you are trying to replace Demers just because of the position that he plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, there's there's very few right-handed defensemen in this class. I mean, you have guys like Luke Shen and Roman Polak, but I think that if you're barking up that tree, you're, you're you're probably doing it wrong. Oh yeah, well, you can make a case that Luke Shen might be the second best right shot defenseman oh, in free agency I don't, I don't, this year. I don't even think you need to make that case. I think it's pretty abundantly clear. <laughs> 
Well, it, you know, unless well, you're a big a Ben like Lovejoy Tom. fan. Yeah, maybe a guy like Tom Gilbert. I don't know necessarily how much he has left, and he's dealt with a lot of injuries here, but I, I like him as yeah, a Yeah, Gil- I've always been a fan of Gilbert. Gilbert terrifies me this year, mm. like the season he just had. Yeah. And, and given his age, like, we, we talk about these guys who might fall off a cliff. It's possible we saw Tom Gilbert fall off the cliff last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're looking at it at this rate, like Merritt Zelitsky, I mean, we mentioned him earlier. He could, uh, if things keep going this way with this few right, right-handed defensemen available, he could this be. We could be having this discussion about him still being in the league ten years from now. <laughs> well, yeah, it's. Uh... <laughs> Well, Edmonton, who I, you know, I, I write a lot about the Oilers, and they need an offensive defenseman, and they need kind of a right shot guy for the third pair. Um, Eric Griba is going to free agency, and um, maybe they bring him back. But to me, he's not an ideal fit because they they need more of an offensive dimension. And I found myself looking at people like Merrick Zidlicki and Dan Boyle and going, "Huh, I wonder if there's anything left," <laughs> which is just just crazy to me. Um, one of I know you probably want to save the bargains for later, but. No, this is a year where, well, well, this is just a year where the depth is so bad, especially on the right side, that a guy like maybe Zach Redmond actually becomes attractive for a team just because there aren't any other options out there. Yeah, you're uh, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel there. Oh, I know it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, yeah. But it, but I mean, realistically, if you if you're looking for a a puck moving right shot defenseman. It's Zach Redman, Jamie McBain, Yannick Weber. These are your options. Yeah. Well, a guy I've always been partial to, it, and, and it seems like he, I, I don't know, I, I should probably just let it go because it's probably not going to happen at this point, but he's still not even 30 yet. So a guy like Rafael Diaz, who is a is a puck-moving right-handed defenseman who just for whatever reason can seem to land a permanent NHL gig, even though guys that I'm, I'm 100% sure are significantly worse players than him are, are getting spots ahead of him. So I don't know what's going on there, uh, but I would be looking at him ahead of a guy like maybe Zach Redman, I think. Yeah, there it's uh it's bad. It's so bad that if you're if you're an NHL team, maybe you just kind of bite the bullet and go, "Okay, I'm going to employ two lefties in my in my uh, third pair." Although even if you do that, uh the the left side on defense this year is pretty pretty awful too. Um the players we've talked about, uh, Chris Russell by the way is one of those guys who I would stay away from. Stay, stay far, far away from. Yes, but but you're looking at players like um, Dan Hamhuse, hoping to try and get something more from him. Uh, maybe try and keep Kyle Quincy in the league. Matt Bartkowski, like the yeah. left defense, is almost as bad. Yeah, it is. It's it's definitely not great. And uh, I don't know. I guess we should talk a little bit about Justin Schultz because. It's weird. Yep. Like I know that you were in the camp of he could be a very interesting kind of like what Pittsburgh did, right? Where you play him in the right role for his skills, and he's so you don't rely on him too much, and he can be uh, pretty useful. Particularly considering some of the other defensemen we just named that are going to be having NHL roster spots, like he can definitely do more than a lot of these guys. But I'm kind of curious whether he's going to get that Stanley Cup bump now, where there was all these stories coming out about you know how how well him and Ian Cole were playing and how uh, this unsung group for Pittsburgh on the blue line was was you know playing well over their heads and, and doing a great job and they win the cup. And then now I'm kind of curious whether it's going to go too far the other way, where he's going to go from being an undervalued asset to being overvalued once again. Well, I, th- I think we're both assuming here that Pittsburgh is not going to qualify yeah, him, not at uh, like almost four million yeah. bucks. Yeah. No, it's more than that. It's I think it's three three point nine. Ooh, that's like bad. it's bad. Yeah. 
But uh, in free agency, he's very attractive. Like if, if I'm Edmonton and Justin Schultz has never uh, donned an Oilers sweater in free agency this year, Schultz is maybe number one on my list because he's he's a, a right shot puck mover who is not going to cost a fortune in all likelihood. And even even with the Stanley Cup bump this year, um, it's one thing for you know if you're a you're a Pittsburgh columnist or a, a Pittsburgh radio guy, but. Uh, to, to put out a, oh man, Ian Cole and Justin Schultz, they sure look good. If you're actually an NHL executive, you, you're you very aware of what Mike Sullivan was doing with Justin Schultz. You're aware that he's playing him you know 13-odd minutes per game and he's getting him off the ice whenever good players come off or uh, you know come on for the other team. And if you're looking at what Peter DeBoer did, you know that he's targeting Justin Schultz and doing his best to get good players out there against him because he knows... That's sort of the soft underbelly of the Pittsburgh defense. Mm. Um, this is not a guy you want to pay real money to. He is a very useful third-pair defenseman who can run your second-unit power play and uh, brings an element that is in short supply and free agency. And, and the nice thing about Schultz is he's young enough you can give him term, mm. but you do not want him to get up in terms of dollar figures. Uh, like I, At $2 bucks a year, I think I'd probably walk away. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're giving way too much credit to nhl executives when you're when you're when you're when you're when you're when you're positing that uh they're actually paying attention to a lot of this stuff i feel like some of these guys are just like oh look he you know he he's he he, he's totally changed as a player he's got that winning mentality all of a sudden like if we we put him in our system kind of like pittsburgh did we can like you know turn him into a great player here like i think that there's going to be a lot of bad money thrown around at defensemen this summer and uh and we're gonna wind we should just put a pin in this conversation and kind of circle back to it because i think uh it'll be it'll be an interesting thing to look back at in hindsight well, may- maybe I'm being a little too optimistic. I'm just <laughs> because we've seen NHL executives throw money at bad bets before. Yeah. Um, I-, I was just thinking the-, the most effusive praise I read of Justin Schultz was probably from from Mark Madden in Pittsburgh, and I just went, "Well, okay." Yeah. <laughs> oh, hopefully, nobody's taking your advice. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's talk about goalies here quickly, just because I think if you're in the position where you're looking for your starter and free agency you're in trouble um because other than james reimer i don't really see a guy here that if he's starting more than like 30 or 35 games for you i don't think there's anyone else on this list that really kind of fits fits into that tier yeah james reimer is far and away the best player um to me chad johnson is number two with a bullet which says a lot and then probably uh jonas enroth number three yeah yeah, I like Jonas Enroth. I think that the interesting thing with Reimer is I think I think for a while there, just based on how well he played towards the end of the season in San Jose, it seemed like, and sort of just with his personality and, and how everything went in Toronto, it feels like, you know, there was a, a line of thought that he could come back to San Jose and, and sort of split starts with Martin Jones, particularly the way uh, NHL teams are going with their goalies where you don't really want to ride a guy for 65, 70 games anymore. You kind of like to split it more evenly. But just based on how well Jones played during this Stanley Cup final run, I feel like it it makes it much less likely that Reimer's going to come back there just because I don't know how many starts he's feasibly going to get. So it seems like he's probably going to go somewhere where he has a better chance of actually stealing that starters gig and playing the majority of the games. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I think the big complicating factor with all of these goaltenders in free agency is the looming expansion draft. Yep. Because I, I, to me, this is a year where you can go out and get a goalie who you never could get before. Like um, Pittsburgh's a good example. Tampa Bay's a good example where 
players who are extremely attractive and impossible to acquire and trade most years are going to be available. Like if you're Pittsburgh, Marc-Andre Fleury, trading Marc-Andre Fleury is very sensible. Mm -hmm. If you're Tampa Bay and you're kind of choosing between Ben Bishop and Andre Vasilevsky, which of the two you're going to protect at the expansion draft, you know, obviously you're going to trade one of them because you don't want to lose one of those players for nothing. Um, So there's, you know, every year there's three or four teams that go into free agency looking for starters. This year, there might be one. Um, to me, trade is a much better route if you're looking for goalies. Right. Particularly with a guy like Frederick Anderson presumably being available. Yep. Right. So like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense where you're going to go uh, that route. And I, I don't think you, I mean, we, we've seen in the past, you don't necessarily really want to be throwing big money in on the open market on goalies anyways to begin with. Yeah, uh, goalies, um, we don't do a great job predicting them with analytics. NHL executives, if you look at a, any chart of uh, save percentage versus dollars spent, they don't do a very good job of it. And, you know, Reimer's probably, he's sort of a 1A, 1B goalie. Uh, Chad Johnson and, and Roth, the, the other guys in this class at best are, are backups who can play. And in some cases, uh, I'm thinking of, of Cam Ward here, there are players out there with sort of formidable reputations who you probably don't want on your roster yeah i think that's fair to say okay let's let's wrap up this discussion with uh the thing we've been teasing for pretty much the entirety of the show the the bargain bin guys because uh when we planned this show i asked you to think up a few names so that we weren't kind of just throwing stuff up against the wall and every year we have these sort of guys that hang around till either the end of the summer or maybe even into early fall where they go have to go to a camp with a team as a on a player tryout i mean i'm thinking of a guy like lee stepniak this past year and they're obviously going to provide immense value because they can still play and you're going to get them for the bare minimum and then even if you're a, a team that's not competing it's i mean we see this release them neck pretty much every year where teams just keep recouping assets from signing him because he's traded every deadline and i think uh smart teams are paying attention to stuff like that and will be pursuing that this summer so who are um, are there any names out there that you think and and you're not allowed to use lee stepniak as an example here uh who are <laughs> who are some bargain bin guys that you like this summer well fingers crossed that lee stepniak gets a good contract this year because he's earned it yeah. uh so players sort of in that camp this year um brad boys comes to mind uh mike santarelli uh yuri Tulusti was in this camp last year had an abysmal season i'd still have time for him on uh you know a training camp tryout deal riley nash in carolina is a name um and, and michael grabner is another guy who kind of interests me and the all of these are guys i've tried to tried to pick guys who are plausibly going to be available three weeks into free agency and might be forced to even take a a pro camp tryout Mm -hmm. and historically it's a class that's undervalued nhl teams go well you know that kind of depth veteran i've got a kid who can play on the farm and he'll he'll outperform him and a lot of years we find that these players who have kind of hung around the fringes of the league and are you know one one or two bad years away from having their careers end, they can provide pretty good minutes for you. Stempniak being this year's great example. Yeah, no, he's definitely. So, are there any other names that you like on this list other than the guys you mentioned? Or, um, yeah, there there are. Uh, 
I'm trying to find some under the radar well, guys you know here. I like as a, def- as a defenseman, sorry to cut you off, but uh, he's a, he's a lefty, so he doesn't necessarily fit the discussion we were having earlier. But like a guy like David Schlemko, who uh, mm-hmm. he's 29, so you're not necessarily going to be, you know, he's not a guy that you're going to be paying for a lot of years to come. But if you can get him on like a one or two year deal for for very little, like he's just one of those guys that he does a lot of things well, and he he moves nicely, and he's and he can move the puck as well, and uh, no. No one's gonna when you sign David Schlamko, no one you know that no one's gonna be like, ooh, what a what a what a flashy signing! I can't <laughs> wait to buy my Schlamko jersey and go watch him forty-one times this year. But he's just gonna do a lot of these things that he's probably gonna wind up uh, earning for you a lot more money than you actually wind up paying him. Well, when he was in this camp, I think he cleared waivers uh, not this season but the previous season. Uh, he was one of these. New Jersey was actually really good at. Um, kind of going around and sweeping up all the leftovers yep. uh, two weeks after July one, and and he was in that camp last year. To me, he's a he's a very good third pair defenseman, mm-hmm. and he can do a lot of things for you. One of the shocking revelations that I had in researching for this podcast was that David Schlemko can play on the power play a little bit, mm. he, which which just shocked me because yeah. it's not something I ever thought of as his skill set. Right. Um, actually, if you if you uh, look at all the free agent defensemen this year. And you sort them by their three-year scoring average the last three seasons, and you limit it to guys who have played more than one minute per game. Um, yeah, averaged more than one minute per game on the power play. Right. David Schlemko is the second best uh, point producer by scoring rate among defensemen in free agency. Hmm. Yeah, I would. I would four point six. No, four point six points per hour at five on four over the last three years. Now, to me, this is more of one of those. That's kind of an interesting tidbit than it is. Uh, you know, we'd better sign Schlemko and yeah. put him on our first unit power play. Yeah, yeah. But uh, just the, just the fact that he can do that for you in a pinch, where he can step in on your second unit, is kind of an interesting thing that you might not expect. Yeah. Oh, we missed out on Keith Yandel, so we're going to bring in David Schlemko to quarterback our power play. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe not maybe not the best yeah. plan. Um, the the guy who I was going to mention before you you know so brutally interrupted me with Schlemko oh, yeah, sorry is Jonathan. Oh yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, Jonathan Marchesso in Tampa Bay. Mm. Um, he's a guy who's been mentioned a few time by a few people. Uh, Alan Hull in in the Oilogosphere sort of turned me on to him, and he's he's the kind of guy who might slip through because he's so small, but he's a very very effective scorer over a small sample. And um, he's young. Yeah. He is, I, I believe he's the youngest forward in free agency this year. And he's the kind of guy you might get for peanuts who can play on your power play and can play, uh, maybe even fill in in a top six role at times. Yeah, you're right. He's a, he just, he's a December birthday and he just turned 25. And uh, he's one of these guys that has always produced, he like, Here's the thing. He's very undersized, and you wonder how his game will translate to the NHL level. We've only seen uh, short bursts of it, but like at a certain point, when a guy just produces at a high level at every single uh, level he plays at, whether it's in the Q or the AHL or in, in small bursts in the NHL, like eventually you should be like, hmm, maybe this guy's just a really good player, and we should give give him the benefit of the doubt. And he's he's done that throughout his career, and he sort of fits that uh, that Tampa Bay pipeline of of believing or giving a shot to these smaller guys than most other teams wouldn't and they just wind up showing you that they can play hockey regardless of their size 
Yeah, and I, I think there's two things in his favor. Uh, the first being that he's a right shooting center, which is always hard to find. And the second being that Pittsburgh just won the cup with Brian Rust and Connor Sheary playing top nine roles. Yep. yep. And I know. So, that, I mean, I if you're looking at. Con- people that follow you on Twitter know that you've been uh, banging this, uh, this height and weight drum for, for quite a while. Well, it's, it's one of these things. I don't know how many times we have to see. Um, teams like Pittsburgh, teams like Chicago, teams like Tampa Bay that are real contenders who get major mileage out of players that nobody else will touch because they happen to be 5'9 or 5'10. Like it's, it's one of those places where you can go into free agency right now. You can probably, if you look at, if you scan the AHL rosters, you can probably find a half dozen guys who might be able to play a scoring line role for you in sort of a, you know, a Connor Sheary sense where he's the, the third wheel of a good line and he's playing with two good players. And who can do it for you for six or seven hundred thousand dollars? And in a salary cap world, being able to fill a scoring line role for seven hundred grand, even if it's only a complimentary player, that's huge. You can do so much more with that money if you have that guy plugging up that one slot. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and Jonathan, uh, I think it's safe to say that you're much more than a complimentary player based on the the fine showing you had on today's <laughs> hockey PDO cast. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for having me once again. Absolutely, man. Uh, everyone can follow you on Twitter at, at Jonathan Wallace and uh, Jonathan Willis. Sorry, not Jonathan Wallace. I don't know who Jonathan Wallace is, but don't follow that guy. Um, and, uh, and, and check out all the great work you do for the various sites you write for, and, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back on sometime in the near future. I'm looking forward to it already. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast. <laughs> <laughs>